There we go. What's that? We are um, uh, part two, which starts on page 133. Um, I was going to bring a PowerPoint, but given how, uh, how good the system is down here and Pastor Nelson's past experience, I decided not to. Um, so we're on part two, though. He said he got through page 141, I think. But he said it wouldn't be bad to go back to 133 and go through page 147 then. So go kind of where you were and then a little bit further than that. I know it's been you know, probably three or four weeks, maybe even longer since you've been here. But any questions from the last time? Anything you were just dying to ask? I, I wasn't here. I don't know. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it was the kerygma of Jesus' death. You may remember that. No. Nope, okay. <laughs> music. You have a note. Okay, well, what, what did you read for today? Did you guys read anything? Okay. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Let's see, what do I really want you guys to know? Um, <laughs> is there, well, here, here's the thing I've learned, that Abby now has been listening to these on the internet. She, she downloads them, reads the book, downloads them, listens to them on her iPod while she cleans. So she listens to them about once every six months. No, I'm kidding, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> She's going to hear that. Whoever was in charge of this, I love you. Whoever was in charge of this, um, no, but she listens to him and she says, I can't believe the way you talk about me. So I need to stop doing that. I don't recall either. It's like that HBO commercial where they have, uh, she's, yeah, it's like that HBO commercial where they have, the, what, what's that show that just, Sorry, I'm not making any sense. That show where it's the mob, what's that called? Not the Godfather. Sopranos. And the woman says, I'm going to have to block you. Because you remember that scene? And he said, I don't recall. Remember that? That's pretty much my whole life. I don't recall. All right, page 133. Let's start back there. Um, This whole section is on Christ's plane in history. And basically what he says is, uh, history is all screwed up after, you know, Adam and Eve take a bite of the fruit. But what's fascinating is he locates um, a transformation in history with the incarnation of Christ. That's the pivotal event. Well, I shouldn't say that. Actually, for him, I think the pivotal event is the crucifixion and the resurrection. But he does start by talking on page 133, uh, very first paragraph, every time a baby is born, the gospel is preached. The virgin birth of Jesus provides the charismatic center to all this world of experience in which we receive the revelation of God as Christ plays in creation. That is, um, the incarnation is everything. And you never want to pit two feast days against each other. You can't ever say, you know, people say, well, Good Friday is nothing because Easter is everything. Well, that's not quite true because uh, Good Friday saves saves you from your sins and Easter saves you from death. But if you had to pick one, you'd probably want to save you from your sins. You know you'll get your body back because of the resurrection, but you know you get your sins forgiven because of Good Friday. So there is a difference. Um, but St. Paul says, unless Christ be raised, our preaching is in vain. So they, they're both important. In, in a similar respect, the incarnation is just as big as the resurrection. I mean, it is everything. In fact, I would say the annunciation, the actual announcement of Jesus' birth, when he actually takes up residence in Mary's flesh, that's where it happens. He's born is huge, but that he actually takes up residence in her flesh because that's where he becomes man. Um, In fact, in the Creed, when it says, you know, and became man, that's first a reference to the Annunciation, which is why you'll see um, in some churches, and even in ours, at least with the the clergy, there's a a bow of your head at that point because that's... um, that's like when Jesus comes to the altar and we hold up the host. You could probably bow your head there because Jesus is just incarnated in bread and wine. It's the same thing. Either that's, that's pure adoration or it's, it's blasphemous idol worship. If it's not Jesus, it's idol worship. 
But as uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says, and we sing in our own hymnal, Thee we adore, O hidden Savior, who's present in bread and wine. But he's also present in Mary's womb. That's where it happens. Questions? Comments? Yes? Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, um, I, I, I checked on my little note. Yeah. I've always thought of it that way, holy versus humility. And so I've always, I, I've never reconciled it completely. And, and I think that this book, and, you know, even later on, it really gets to a very sore spot almost for me. I, I don't mean it to be a sore spot, but it's one that I bear a lot of trouble reconciling because I feel that one's really high and one's really low. Mm-hmm. And trying to pull, you know, when they're talking about, I mean, this book is more and more emphasizing how mm-hmm. he is coming into your messy, beat mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. world, and he is living there as one of you. He didn't come, I mean, he's not, he's, no, he is perfect. And, and what I'm trying to say is, he's coming into our mess. Yeah, right. He's not doing magic, but he's not cleaning the place up. Mm-hmm. He's just coming and staying with us in our mess. Right. That's that's why the incarnation is everything. I, that's what I'm saying. It's right. Like I've always, and then when they talk, you know, when they're talking about holy, and mm-hmm. to me, in my mind, holy is just clean. It's not. It's a baby in a manger who's, you know, puking on his mom. Mm-hmm. That's holiness. Do you, do you understand I completely that? understand. Yeah, I do. But what, what needs to bridge the gap then is the incarnation. So before the incarnation, God is, uh, God is wholly outside of yourself in a sense. I mean, you can see him in creation, but that's not where he's at for you. So where, but here's the other thing. Even, in, even before the incarnation, God is still a messy, concrete God. For instance, where did you find the located presence of God in a blood-filled bowl on top of the Ark of the Covenant? That's a messy, dirty world. Yet a slaughter an animal. That's, that's utter humility, and yet that's where God locates himself. The reason he becomes man, though, is because he actually wants you to be able to relate to him in human, concrete, relational forms. Yeah. As the church father said, God became man that you might become like God. I mean, that's what it is. He becomes just like you so that you can become just like him. Or as Hebrew says, he became like you in every way except without sin. He's tempted in every way. He knows exactly what you go through. Every temptation you have, he's had as well. Um, But that shouldn't be something that troubles us, like, wow, he's so holy and he came into our world and, boy, that's, that's a problem for me. It should be, I'm so unholy, and yet in his, in holiness coming to unholiness, he makes unholiness holy. That's not the problem, but that's the answer. I know, but that's the answer. The pro- yeah. But here's, here's the problem. You've actually, eventually in your life, you've got to let him come in. I mean, that's the, it's just like saying let him take your sins. It, 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 it's, it's normal, and it's act, in fact kind of comforting to not let him have your sins, because that's all you know. That's all you know. It's, it doesn't make your life any easier. In fact, it makes it hellish. But that's what you know. So it's so easy to say, you know, I'm just going to keep, these sins are, they're just who I am. I'm just going to keep them with me. The hard part sometimes is letting those sins go or letting your messy house go and saying, the Lord comes in and he makes this all clean. But until you do that, you haven't actually experienced two things, the person of Christ in all of his fullness and the Christological life that he has in store for you. It is hard. But 
where you've got, what you've got to do is you've got to go to the places where the Lord engages the messiness. That, that, doesn't mean you, that means you come to the Eucharist. That's where it's at. That's where he engages the messiness in concrete, tangible things. I mean, it's, it's bread and wine, but he transforms it into body and blood. Go ahead. Um, I think I understand what you're saying because I'm feeling it in a, maybe in a different way. Mm-hmm. But um, when, I was taught, when I was reading through there and it talked about popular spirituality avoiding mm-hmm. the messiness of history, and I think about um, the way this church service is done based on, you know, a more evangelical mm-hmm. type church service. And I think of my own kids mm-hmm. and the fact that it's very hard for them to go through this kind of a service mm-hmm. as opposed to a more evangelical kind mm-hmm. of service because both of them have said to me, I'm not good enough. Yeah. And, and the part that I have, that I struggle with, and I think this is true for many young people, mm-hmm. is, is where is the breakdown in the church where they don't get that you right. don't have to be good enough? Right. At what point, I mean, what happened? Yeah. That, that now all of a sudden there's this, mm-hmm. when I'm good enough, I can, I can worship there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally backwards. The focus is on ourselves. Exactly. And if I'm good enough. Right. And not what. Right. The, I, yeah. I think this is happening a lot in, in a lot of youth, uh-huh. you know, that they want to participate in the spiritual part of being part of the body, mm-hmm. but they have this, mm-hmm. like you said, it's that, it's that I have to do, excuse me, I have to do all these good things, right. and then I'll be good enough to go. Yeah. Um, let me, let me kind of tell you a story, to, which might answer your thing. Um, this spring, I'm teaching this class at River Forest called, it's basically apologetics is what it is. Now, everyone in the whole class expected me to come in the first day. There are three, there are three kind of historic forms of apologetics. Okay? The first two are solely dealt, they deal first with reason. So you're a rational human being. You know, and the questions that are asked are, is there a tomb for Jesus? Do all the dates line up? Could there be a virgin birth? Is there evidence for the resurrection? This is stuff that you grew up with, the case for Christ, Josh McDowell, all of that. However, the third one is dramatically different in that it presupposes all the biblical truths are true. And it deals first then with the person of Christ. Who is Christ and what has he come to do? Now, what's strange is they all expected me to go and say, read this book. It's going to tell you all about the historical person of Jesus and where his tomb was at. Now it's empty. And look at that. Josh McDowell says this. I said, we're not going to do any of that. Here's why. Those, that does not engage the questions of postmodernism. That engages the questions of modernism, rationalism. Postmodernism is asking questions like this, not where is the tomb of Jesus. It's asking, um, why should I be a Christian? Or am I good enough to be part of the community? Or, I've got a lot of guilt in my life, how can I get rid of it? Now, the sad thing is, those questions have been engaged by, by Dr. Phil. Self-help. You figure it out. You know, Britney Spears has issues. What she needs is confession in the Eucharist. That's what she needs. But instead, she got Dr. Phil to show up at her house. What the church has... Well, she does need help, probably more than the church could offer, but... The point is, that's, Britney Spears is the epitome of postmodernism. The questions that are being asked are self-help questions, and yet what the world has said is, here are the self-help answers. Read this book, your marriage will get better, isn't this great? When the church has, has the best medicine for postmodernism, something that's concrete, something that's ancient, and something that delivers the good, regardless of who you are or where you come from. So, or how good you are, yeah. I mean... We, we don't want people that are good. If, they, if everyone was good, I wouldn't have a job. If I was good, I wouldn't have a job. So what we, what we want to engage are people who say, I'm not good enough to be there, because the church has just the answer for that. It doesn't matter, St. Paul says. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nothing like that. It's all about you come with your own problems, your own issues, your own insecurities, your own background, and you say, it doesn't matter because we're all the same because we all eat the same food and drink the same drink. So that's people that say, I might not be good enough, what they, need to, what they need to see or what needs to be shown to them. 
that's more of a gospel way of speaking. What they need to be shown is that the sacraments are the answers to that question. That's a great equalizer. And once everyone has the sacraments, then the liturgy just, that's just, that's how we talk. You know? They're always welcome at your dinner table because they're your own kids. And around the table, they know how to talk because it's your table and it's your family and it's your house. Once they come to the table and are brought into the community in a concrete, tangible way, they'll learn how to talk. Okay? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand all that. I like the idea of presupposing it's all true right. and going from there. Right. That's a, that's a conversation that I haven't, we haven't mm-hmm. addressed. I mean, we talk about all this all the mm-hmm. time, but we've never, I've never used that word, and I think that would be a, a good way to uh, open a dialogue, not just with my kids, right. but with anybody you're talking to. And what it does is it forces you not to give a defense of the faith with words. This is the whole, I ended the class by saying this. We don't do apologetics, but we are a living apologetic. It's an embodiment. It's not about what you say or how well you say it. I mean, the third article to the creed, Luther's explanation says, I believe I can up on my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. So it's about living the Christian life and people see that. Jesus, let, let, the, you know, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it's about. I think that's interesting because I tend to run into less and less people that are more like wanting the Jack mm-hmm. Right. Prove to me in archaeological finds right. that God's a God. And I mean, it seems like there, we do live in a culture that's much more, you know, I don't really argue the point that, you know, right. Jesus was something and, you know, but why should I go to church? Right. And, and why should I invest that much right. into it? And it's very similar to the time of the early church. Right after the time of Jesus, no one was asking, show me the tomb. They were saying, we're getting slaughtered at home because our dad doesn't want to be a Christian. How can we be part of your community? Or I've got sins out the wazoo. How can I get those forgiven? Those are the questions they were asking, um, which this is a little lead into what may happen in the future, at least of St. John. We need to look at the way we catechize people and teach people we need to at least look at the way the early church did that to help form our own way of catechesis. The whole idea of bringing people in and opening up the catechism and just saying this is it may not be the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. So this kind of historic catechumenate where there are many phases, where it's not all dogma, learn the catechism, mm-hmm. might be a better model for doing catechesis. We'll have to see. Yeah? When do you think this thought process changed in well, I think it's changing rapidly. I think it. No, I think probably ten years. Well, within the past ten years. I mean, postmodernism. You can date it whenever you want. I mean, some people say it's with what was the housing project in St. Louis. You may have. You guys may have been there when it happened. When it got, it was the it was the low income housing project that was torn down. I mean, some people say that's the beginning of postmodernism. Yeah. So, you know, whether or not that is, who knows. Well, the Missouri Synod's 20 years behind everyone else, you know? <laughs> if post, if post where, as I always say, the Missouri Synod is just figuring out that Shine, Jesus, Shine may not be a good song. And the guy who wrote it, he hasn't thought it was a good song for 20 years. So, you know, I'm kidding, for any of you who like that. But, I mean, that's kind of how we are. We're 10 years behind everyone else. So if postmodernism was just becoming the thing 10 years ago, we're just figuring out about it tomorrow, you know? That's how it is. So, uh, but it's changing rapidly. It's changing rapidly. But I do think it's, it's pure postmodernism now. I mean, it's just, and it's not postmodernism in the sense that everyone thinks about it. There's no absolute truth. I mean, that, that might be true, but it's more um, rational arguments for certain things, specifically theological uh, propositions, don't always work. And that should be, actually, I think it's to our advantage as the church. Because it means you don't have to be a, a, a scholar to answer the questions of your friends. It means you just embody the Christian life, and that's a witness. I mean, it's very biblical. It's very, it's very hard to be challenged by people when they're, you know, like, how can God um, come and, you know, be a loving God? And, you know, the Israelites are, you know, saying to Israelites, yeah. kill everybody, you know, in order to claim their land. It's like, how is that a loving God? I mean, it's very hard to yeah. have a discussion or argument with somebody. Exactly. I mean, that's just... I don't know. I mean, I realize it. 
Exactly. And then if they ask questions, then be ready to answer. That's just, you know, First Peter. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. First Peter, I think, someplace in the New Testament. <laughs> Do you have something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the tricks is to actually come up, you know, we tried with confirmation kids to actually get a vocabulary list. You know, here are your vocab words that you need to know. Sin, grace, Christian. No, I realize that. I, hey, come on now. I understand. No, I understand completely. But what all, my, my next point was going to be, what needs to happen is you also need kind of a list of answers. To, I mean, these are very, they're not basic questions, but they're questions that most people are asking. Why should I go to church? And what you need to be able to say is, it's not a, this, was, this is what it does for me kind of society. That's not what we want. But at the same time, you need to be able to give an answer for how it's affected your own life. So you can say, well, yeah, you can go any place on Sunday, but I've got a lot of sins, and that's where I think the Lord takes care of them. And that'll prompt other questions. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I believe the Bible to be true, because that's what the Lord has said. I mean, this is, the, this is the, you have people all the time who say to you, um, why do you go to church? Well, I'm a damn sinner. I mean, it, it's that simple. Yeah. Why do I go to church? Because I've got sins. Most people, especially you can press anyone into thinking that they're a sinner. I guarantee you can make anyone think that they're a sinner. I don't think that they think they're perfect, but I don't think that they can't Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. And you say, you say, and you say, and you say, just ask my husband. Yeah, right. Right now, my thoughts about Yeah, if you only knew what I was thinking. What are you talking about? And they Right. Well, <laughs> there are a lot of gifts you can't get sitting on the sectional. Yeah, right. Right. And maybe, maybe you're, and you're probably right in, in the terminology. I mean, everyone knows they've trend. I, I would, maybe I'm completely off the rocker, sectional, whatever. But I would, everyone knows they've screwed up somehow. I mean, every, you can't go through life, you can't go through life and say, I've never screwed up. Now, whether or not you think that's sin, that's a different story. But to get them to see, I've done stuff that has hurt or offended other people, um, then, then that leads into a discussion about sin. But to start with, you're a sinner, they don't, they don't even know what sin is. But to say, you've probably done some stuff you regret in your life. Everyone can say that. I 
Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Go ahead. Here, let's let's go over here and then we'll go back to you, okay? Go ahead. Connected with this, my brother was a psychiatrist at the VA and all his patients were never gonna get better. Right. Yeah. Well, it is true. I mean, they're, they're, um, one, one psychiatrist said everyone's problems can be boiled down to they're either unlonely or lonely or unloved. And it, just think about your own life. There's, if you think about all your issues or all your problems or all your fears, they probably fall into one of those two categories. Either you're lonely or you feel unloved. Now, you may not be. You may have people around you all the time. You may be completely loved, and yet the way you perceive it is, I'm lonely or unloved. And, and yet, even for that, there needs to be some sort of absolution. You know, why do I feel this way? Or why am I fearful? One of the greatest things a psychologist or psychiatrist can do is point people back to their pastor, which is actually happening more and more, which is nice. Um, because, see, here's the thing. This is, this is my whole point about everyone knows they've done something wrong. You watch Law and Order at night, and what do they do when you've committed a crime? They say, we're going to take you in and hear your confession. I mean, they do everything up until deliver the goods, you know? I mean, that, people know what it is to screw up, and they know what it is to confess, but they don't know what it is to actually be absolved. So that's where we need to move people. And that transforms you. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Priests, I mean, quite honestly, they see that this church over here is saying, you know, all you have to do is ask for what you want and you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. You just keep praying with such a group of people who think if they pray for a million dollars, they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. And they all believe it. How old is Heather? She's 17. Well, it makes, all this, it makes sense now. Here's the, here's the point. No, it is important. I'm not, I'm not mocking it. Here's the point, though. You don't know it's going to improve your life unless you come. And, you know, if you're not here, you don't know. I've been. Yes, right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. Let me give you an example. I I've been skiing. Yeah. Right. I've only been skiing once in my life. I went with Abby. Now Abby. Her dad was on sabbatical. She lived in New Hampshire for one year, and they would ski for gym class, like every day. Now, Abby has not played a sport in her life. In fact, her, her one basketball experience, she played in gym class and broke her finger. So she can't understand why I grew up playing sports. I'm fascinated by it. I love. She just can't. She likes it, but she can't figure it out. We went skiing once, and I think I rolled down the hill about seven times, and she's up on the tallest hill that's there like a champ. I said, I'm never skiing with you again. I'm never skiing with you again because this just does nothing to my life. In fact, it makes it worse. 
Because then the whole way home, for three hours, she's saying, man, you, you, you are horrid. But the point is, I will never get better, or I'll never think it's even, I, I hate it. I will never go skiing. I will never think it's fun unless I actually try it again and again and again and again. And eventually, eventually, it may take years, I'll say, hey, this isn't so bad. I mean, it might actually do something for my marriage. It gives us something to talk about. You know what I mean? So, but it's the same, it's the same thing. Yeah, she can say she doesn't like church, but when I'm here on Sunday, I don't see her. I know. So part of it is saying to your kids, you know what? You're my kid. You're, you're not out of the house yet. And your life is going to be worse if you don't go. So that's the point. It's, it's, it's finding a way. And you can, be as, you can be as winsome and kind as you want, but you're like with Emma, you know, on Sunday morning, she just doesn't want to go to church. <laughs> but the bottom line is, here's the thing, it's not an option. That's right. Well, then, then, then they're, they're, we can work something else out. Yes, go ahead. The Holy Family. Wow. (laughs) But she, she, because of that, growing up in that kind of culture, she kind of, she hates college. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this Mm -hmm. anymore. And so she said that she uh, investigated all sorts of faiths. And she said the one thing that she kept coming back to was there is no other faith out there that has the forgiveness. Right. Yeah, right. And um, she, she doesn't really believe that, that the Bible as a whole yeah. is the word of God. Right. But she said that's how she kept coming back. Right. And I think that that's um, promising yeah. for the youth in our society. Right. Yeah, in Christianity, I think you'll find, and specifically Lutheranism, when you line up all the Christian denominations, is the only church where you actually come just to receive the gifts. There's nothing, there's nothing sacrificial about it. I mean, you're, you being here is great. That's all the Lord wants. He just delivers his goods. I mean, line up Christianity against all non-Christian religions, and that's very clear. And then line up specific denominations within Christianity, and it's clear there, too. There's no, you just come, and that, it's fascinating that someone would say, it's the place where I go to get forgiveness. It's the only church, I, it's the only you know, religion I can go to to get forgiveness, because that's what it's all about. Yeah. No, Buddha can't forgive you, no. you know? So, and even a, you know, even a promised Messiah to the Jews can't forgive you. Only the one who comes in the flesh, which is why the incarnation is everything. Right. You know, and you were talking about this, and I said, you know, you're, there is no unforgivable sin, honey. Mm-hmm. Right. When she goes, but mom, what if I know that I'm going to go and do it right as soon as I leave here? Mm-hmm. What if I know I'm going to go and do it again? She goes, where do you draw? She goes, I'm not repenting. Well, that's good that she knows that. Right. I understand where she's coming from because I was 17. Yeah, right. And there's no right. way I would have said, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry I did that and I won't do it again. Right. No way. When I got out of church, I was like, woo-woo, back on the road. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And that's where she's at, and it's hard to make her understand. I don't know, I don't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. What do you say? You really need to be repentant. You no. need to be repentant. She, 
She doesn't want to be repentant. But right. this is where the words get battered. Yeah. So the only hope for her to ever get to the point of really being repentant to mean it is to be where the Lord is. She says she doesn't even want to go to the altar because she's not repentant. Well, then that's fine. Then maybe she shouldn't go to the altar, and maybe she should be sitting in the pew and having the Lord speak to her that way. But it, I, I, you know, I, our kids need to be in the sanctuary. And if my kid had a car and they were out and not coming home from church, they wouldn't have a car. I was laughing so hard with that that story that was on the news all week about the lady that was out in the car and I want to know. You go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be the only mean mom. The thing that's interesting is that years ago that wouldn't have been such a big story because everybody did that with their kids. Right. Yeah. And now it's like, but oh, now she's like really the, yeah, you know, let's yeah. Give her the meanest mom ever. ever. Yeah. 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 It's it, the the good. I mean, the positive is at least she she knows she's not repentant. I mean, she's engaging in the conversation. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's a that's a step in the right direction. Repentance would be a better step, but knowing you're not repentant is at least a step in the right direction. She has a concept of what sin is and what repentance is and what. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Right. Well, in the, I mean, in the same respect, she doesn't stop sinning, but the Lord's not going to stop forgiving her. Well, and I try to say there's no unforgivable sin. She goes, yeah, but doesn't there come a point where he just stops forgiving you after you keep going out and doing Yeah, there is, but let him figure that out. She's not God. Yeah. But if she gets in the rhythm and she's going anyhow, you're going to force her for a while, and then she's going to just know it's expected of her, and eventually she's going to keep going, and it's not going to bother her so much, hopefully, and then she's going if she's just going to, I know, she's going to have it eventually, you know, something from the pulpit's going to, Go ahead. On page 139, um, I had highlighted um, kind of in the lower the lower half of the page, lower third of the page maybe, if we have a mind for it, we can go ahead and fit God in somewhere or other. But the biblical writers see it the other way around. They fit us into the history in which mm-hmm. God is the primary reality. This is a difficult mindset for us to acquire. But if we are to understand ourselves truly and live appropriately in the, his- in the history in which we find ourselves, we must acquire it. Otherwise, we fall prey to dodges and denials that incapacitate us for actively participating in the actual world in which God is present and at work. And then it continues to go on with reading and praying our way mm-hmm. through these history saturated pages of Scripture. We gradually get it. And I, and I think about it, this discussion. Yeah, right. And it's almost like, well, you can't give up on praying for the people to come to the church. You right. can't give up on just assuming that that, you know, God is in control of right. Heather and of all, you know, everybody else, and that eventually, yeah. you know, if you, but if you, if you quit worrying about yeah. it, then you're, then you've pulled yourself out of it. Right. You're, not, right. you're not actively participating right. in what it, it's, you know, what we should be actively participating in. So as painful as it is, I think we just got to keep plugging along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's needed is a whole change in perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not your story where you're trying to fit God in. Right now, that's her, that's her understanding. This is my life, and God can't fit in here. What needs to happen is people need to see that it's God's story, and he's actually got a place for you in it. And that's the message of the incarnation. This brings us all the way back to the beginning. Right, and you know what? And on top of that, yeah. and this isn't even about Heather, you know, because I'm the center of the universe. That's right. And you know what, what it all comes down to? Yeah. I'm a bad mom. Well. I'm a bad mom. <laughs> and that's, and that's, and that's yeah. what it comes down to. My yep. kid's behavior is a reflection on me. Mm-hmm. Other people give me advice, and I, you know, they tell me what I should do and what they think I should do. And you know what? I can't do it, and I'm just a bad mom. And so it's just another thing that it's kind of like, well, I, I want, okay, so he's going to forgive me for this, but I'm, I still can't seem to get it right. 
But is it a way to force her to go? I can't force her to do what other people other people say, oh, you should just make her go. Is it okay, though, for us to depend on Christ to involve himself in her life and make those changes? Or is that not an assumption we should make? No, it is. Um, that would, I mean, that would be miraculous. That would be mirac- That would be out of the ordinary. At least the ordinary things, way, way things are going right now. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said no. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's this. There is. Yes. I have never thought that. I thought that this is where we go to worship, mm-hmm. to get the gifts, but that we are walking and breathing Christ. That's right. That's right. But the gifts are here. I mean, the, the, right. the, the, the sermons, the scriptures being read, the sacraments, the, that's, I mean, right. this is where that's the gifts where he are. gives where the gifts. Right. But does that mean he's not going to come to my house if he's I can't? Already? He is there. Right. And the scripture's there. And you know what you know what he does is he comes to, he, Yes. She does. No, he is. He is and he's coming and saying you need to go to church. No. I completely understand, and we should probably, here's the thing, we can talk about this all day, and, and, and there's only so, I mean, I completely agree. Yes. That's right. And that, and that, and he is. But see, here's the point, and this is, you know, this is, this is the other thing, to talk all day about family situations, probably, you don't, you don't want me for that. I mean, you, that's just not my thing. I can't. Here's what I can tell you. The Lord wants your daughter to be in church. She wants you to be in church. He wants you to be in church. When you go home, you live and breathe Christ. And what Christ says as a parent to his kids is you need to be in church. And there may be an impasse where, um, where she says, I'll have no more than that. But there's not an impasse from the Lord's side. This is St. This is Paul's thing where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Sin is addition. Grace is multiplication. So she can't outsin Jesus. She can't outsin Jesus. She can say screw you, but she can't outsin Jesus. But even when she says that to him, he never says that in return. The church fathers, we were just reading this with the, the minister council. The church fathers said um, something to the effect of someone who has been baptized and received the seal, that's the sign of the cross in your forehead at baptism, cannot reject their baptism. Now you can say all your life, I don't believe in that but you're still baptized. It's like, in, well, a tattoo is not a good example because now you can lose them. It's like being branded. A cow can't remove its brand. Just can't. It can say, I don't want to be branded, or I don't want anything to do with the guy who branded me, but the brand is still there. So no matter what she does, she's still baptized, but part of being a Christian parent is, is not saying, I hope Christ invades my house. I mean, that's just nonsense talk. He's there because you're there. And you come to the altar, and your daughter's been baptized, and your daughter receives the gifts when she comes. Now the next step is saying, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more, and uh, you know, uh, where he says, slow to anger and abounding in love. And part of being a loving parent is saying, you're going to church. Okay, so that's now how you do that. Don't ask me. All I can tell you is, oh, no, I'm, and I'm, I'm dead serious. I am not. Yes. And 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 here's the other thing: there are people that get paid for that that are better at it than I am. All I can tell you is something needs to change, and now you need to figure out how to make that change. But 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 part of that is that's why you. I mean that's why you. I mean look at look at Donna. Donna, you know Beth, her daughter, nice woman now. But I'm sure there were days when she said Donna. She probably called her Donna too. Donna, I'm not going to church. It's engaging faithful women who know more than you do and who are older than you or who are in the room or who have had more kids than you or it's going to someone who might be able to help you with getting your kid to go to church. The bottom line is, all I can tell you, and there really should be no response to this because it's very simple, 
She needs to be in church. And eventually, eventually, it's all going to be okay. Because the Lord's not going to give up on her. It's hellish now, but it's all going to be okay. And St. Peter says, rejoice in your sufferings insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Then, then you remember Jesus standing over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you together as a, as a hen gathers her chicks and you wouldn't have it. That's being caught up in the sufferings of Christ. Okay? Donna, give us some wisdom. I need a little help here, Donna. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 And that, and I, you know, what I don't want you to think is I'm blowing you off. What I do want you to think is I don't have the answers to that kind of stuff. All I can tell you is what needs to happen. Right. We set the bar at Jesus. But that's what yeah. I mean. they, they set the bar where it needs to be, right. and that is what you're supposed to follow. Right, right. And even though I understand. you aspire to, mm-hmm. and that, actually that's what all people aspire to. We all fall short, right. but that does not mean our aspirations are lower. Right. And if you weren't concerned, you wouldn't be a Christian. Of course. So there's great, there's great joy in that. It's very Yeah. That's right. Every once in a while. Yeah. It hurts very bad when you try very, especially hard at something, and you continually fall short what it is, you know, and that's why um, when he was talking about how he comes into your life, Mm -hmm. and then talking about the suffering and how your life doesn't improve, it gets worse. That's right. Right. Morally, that you're condemned to a life of falling short. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's the whole point of the chapter. Exactly. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking but joyful at the same time. That's exactly right. Well said. That's exactly right. Uh, anything else on the text? <laughs> Go ahead. I agree like everybody else that we read at the beginning. Yeah. Let me just point out a couple things, and then uh, maybe for next week, why don't you read through, uh, let's see, why don't you read through 147, through the middle of 147. I know that's just a bit further than you did five or six weeks ago, but that was five or six weeks ago. So why don't you read through there. Um, Let's see. This is... Page 137, the first paragraph under Kerygma, Jesus' death. 
The birth of Jesus provides our entrance into the reality and meaning of creation. This is the world, the world of the Father revealed by Jesus. Jesus shows us, this is, this is the best thing right here, shows us that the creation is something to be lived, not just looked at, and the way he did it becomes the way we do it. I mean, that's, this, that's the whole notion of embodiment. When you go to the supper, you, know, you, actually, you actually embody the person of Christ. Even when you're baptized, you actually embody the person of Christ. When you have the gospel preached in your ear, it's like Mary, you embody the person of Christ. And that changes everything. Um, as the Father said, he became man that you might become like God. It, there's a transformation in your life. This doesn't mean suffering goes away. In fact, as, as you said, suffering gets worse. Um, but then you know you're a Christian. Uh, let's see. And, and this, was, this was very good, too. Maybe we'll end with this. Page 138. History is lubricated by tears. Prayer, maybe most prayer, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments, is accompanied by tears. All these tears are gathered up and absorbed in the tears of Jesus. And that, you know, I was, we did the women's Bible study on Tuesday night over at um, the Crows, and someone asked this beforehand about being sick or whatever, and I made the offhanded comment that when you're sick, Jesus is sick. When you have the flu, Jesus has the flu. And this was mind-boggling to the person because they'd never thought of uh, your life being caught up in such a way that whatever you experience, Jesus experiences. Or as he says here, your tears are absorbed into the tears of Jesus. So everything that happens to you actually happens to Jesus. This is Luther. He has this great little book of letters called Letters of Spiritual Care. Someone's compiled his letters that he's written to people. Um, and he writes this kind of stuff. You, you know, you're dying. Well, Jesus is dying. <coughs> You know, he lost his daughter, Luther did, uh, and he says, the pain I feel, Jesus feels at this very moment. So that should come as great comfort because you're never alone and you're never unloved. And in fact, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Whatever your fears and anxieties and aches and diseases may be, Jesus has it too. And yet all that, this is why, this is why you can't out Jesus, regardless of what it is. It's all been caught up in the cross. Jesus is the adulterer. He's the... You know, he's the drug addict. He is the bad father, the bad mother, the bad parent. He's everything, and he takes that and redeems it, and he says, everything you are now is perfect. And that's great comfort. You can't out Jesus. He is the greatest sinner. Okay? Anything else? Read to 147 for next week. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.